Welcome to Thou Shalt Not Suffer, the Witch Charl podcast. In this special edition, we'll give you the first 10 minutes of our interview with Malcolm Gaskell about his book, The Ruin of All Witches, which you should buy today. The book releases Tuesday, November 1st, 2022, in the United States. Again, that's Tuesday, November 1st. So pre-order your copy tonight. Or grab one in the store tomorrow. I am happy to introduce Malcolm Gaskell, Emeritus Professor of Early Modern History at the University of East Anglia. He is unquestionably one of Britain's leading experts in witchcraft history. His works include The Highly Acclaimed Witchfinders, A 17th Century English Tragedy, and Between Two Worlds, How the English Became Americans. Today we have the fortunate opportunity to spend this episode with him digging into his just released, unmatched, New England Witch Trial book, The Ruin of All Witches. It has reached the top of the Times paperback nonfiction bestsellers list in the UK and is now number two in the Sunday Times. It will certainly be an equally high grind demand in the United States. The publisher describes The Ruin of All Witches as a gripping story of a family tragedy brought about by witch hunting in Puritan New England that combines history, anthropology, sociology, politics, theology, and psychology. You will be gripped by his telling of our important witch trial history as you are held fast by every page. So let's take advantage of the time we have with him and jump into this real-life fairy tale. What drew you to this subject for a book? I'm a historian of witchcraft. I've been working on the history of witchcraft for the best part of 30 years. You're always looking for the next story, and I've done big overviews, and I've done some smaller stories. But there's something about this one, which is, it's just such a fine-grained, detailed story of a witch hunt. So it really enables you to get very close to the story and to the characters involved and actually see what the mechanics of a witch hunt are, the social, economic, cultural mechanics, really up close over a a period of time. Because quite often with the history of witchcraft, we get these kind of big overviews and we can make assumptions about the way that witch uh, hunts happen almost automatically. And I think when you look really close at a story like this, and the sources allow you to do that, you can see that people hesitate and for a period of time they do nothing and they almost contradict themselves. It becomes a very much more of a human story, I think. And it's just a very good insight into the way that our ancestors were probably a bit more like us than we think, in that they weren't always terribly sure of themselves. But even so, at Springfield, Massachusetts, they do still, in the end, all the factors come together and they do actually have a witch hunt. We were talking the other day about how intimate this felt compared to those other books we've read, particularly about other Massachusetts witch trials. They've been more of a broad survey and you don't get quite this level of detail. So it's quite refreshing to see that. I think that's, again, that's one of the the things that drew me to the sources is that you really do see the characters and also they do, through their depositions that they make to William Pynchon, who is like the landlord and the magistrate, and he runs everything in Springfield, they do tell him how they feel. This is one of the really important things. that. So when you're trying to write this like a story, you don't have to kind of invent people's feelings or their nightmares or their dreams or their emotions because they're actually set down in the record 
And that does turn it into something which is much more novel-like, I suppose, much more fictive, more kind of cinematic. Those things were always there in all those other stories that you read about in the history of witchcraft, but you're just not always able to get down to ground level and actually peer into people's homes and listen into their conversations and really get that, as you say, that very kind of intimate sense of what these people's lives were like and the ways in which they felt vulnerable and the ways in which they felt afraid and the way that they acted upon those fears. You mentioned the mechanics of it, and now you're talking about the listening through the walls and hearing the story. I feel like those pieces really need to come together, especially for those interested in understanding and not just following the assumptions. So what you were able to do with that is so great for readers and researchers of all levels. I think it's going to be really important in helping so many individuals get to that next level of understanding their ancestors' experience, how it all comes together. So thanks for doing that. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much. I'm glad that it it works because, of course, you sit for a long time with the material and writing. And in the end, you talk yourself as a writer about whether it's really working. But I think the response from readers like yourself uh, so far has been quite gratifying that that does come across. And it isn't just that we are somehow entertained or titillated by the intimacy of these stories, but actually it really does teach us something about the way that witch trials did take place. And actually also, I think, why quite a lot of the time they came to nothing. And that's almost a counterfactual, isn't it, in the history of witchcraft, that it's how do witch trials not happen? Because actually most of the time there are these preconditions there, but they just don't ever quite come to fruition. And the hesitancy in the characters in Springfield in the middle of the 17th century, I think, demonstrates the way that you know our ancestors are not these kind of crazed hysterical automata who just naturally blame everything on witchcraft and then accuse the first person they don't like the look of that it's a much more slow smoldering process towards an accusation and even then it's actually as the book demonstrates it's actually very difficult to make your suspicions come off, to turn them into accusations and to turn them into a prosecution and a conviction. We end up with a picture where almost everybody believes in some level in witchcraft, but the way in which those beliefs translate to a conviction where a witch is actually executed is an extremely torturous and long and difficult path. And that at every stage, it's actually quite likely from the perspective of the accuser it's quite likely to result in failure. And you mentioned that this takes place in Springfield, Massachusetts. Can you give us a little background on the community? Okay, so Springfield is not quite like most other New England Puritan communities. It's a godly town, but it's founded quite deliberately for trade and for profit. So William Pynchon, who is a migrant from England in the 1630s, is a trader in beaver fur. And he realizes that actually it's one thing to conduct trade on the eastern seaboard, but actually what you really need to do is to go 100 miles west, get yourself into the Connecticut Valley, get high up the Connecticut River, and actually then you can receive the beaver fur from source from the Native American trappers. 
And that's really his skill. So this is a very entrepreneurial town. It's a town which is built up from scratch by Pynchon, attracting the kinds of migrants that he needs in order to make his town function, like a middle-sized English town of that time, where you need a division of labour, where you need farmers, but you also need cobblers and you also need barrel makers and you need tailors and everything because everybody needs to be a cog in the machine to make it work it's a kind of almost artificially constructed community with pension at the head of it and it's remote from boston which is the center of government and there's a sense in which this town is rather isolated And, of course, there are other towns up and down the valley at this time. These people don't seem to like each other very much. There's a lot of conflict and tension between these communities. You certainly shouldn't get the idea that just because they all come from England, that somehow there's some sort of national fraternity between these people. In many ways, it's the opposite. It's the fact that they are actually very close to each other and in competition for resources and authority and trade and all those things. And so that if you go back to to come back to John Winthrop and the ideals of the city on the hill, this the ideas of Christian charity that John Winthrop and the great migration of the 1630s was supposed to transplant in America. Rather ironically, these seem to be rather grasping, selfish, avaricious individuals and communities who are at war with their English neighbours, at war with local Native Americans, at war with the Dutch. And even within Springfield itself, as we discover in the book, that actually at war with one another within an individual neighbourhood. So some of those ideals of Christian love, Christian charity between neighbours are really rather turned on the head because actually they seem to be rather selfish and actually have a lot of animosity for one another. That makes me think about how Mary Lewis, I was thinking with the turmoil in her first marriage and then the church body that she was a part of, she was excited about her future, excited about her faith again, and she decides to go to New England. But then so quickly there is all of this inter fighting and stuff. I was just thinking how she really wanted to turn over a new leaf, but then when you get there and in that situation with all that it was taking to survive and to fight to get a new life going, it just it it came back to that. Come back Thursday, November 3rd, for the full interview. We're going to fill you up with a rich and hearty episode. Low calorie, very filling. A feast of knowledge from across the sea to your table if you make sure to pre-order the root of all widgets go out today buy this book you're going to enjoy it read it before thanksgiving give it to your family have a little book club go ahead and pick two copies up and when you've talked it up and they see that you're not willing to give your copy up you pull out the gift copy. Instead of wine, buy 12 copies of The Ruin of All Witches. Pass them out to your guests before the dinner is served and you'll have something interesting to talk about.